0: Our scripture reading is from the book of Amos, and you'll notice that it skips a few places, so it's not consecutive verses. So we will um, note that as we read through these verses. I've picked these particular verses to emphasize the theme of our message today. Amos chapter 1, begin verse 1 and 2. Before we read the scriptures together, let us pray. Our Father, we bow before you to acknowledge your Lordship in our lives and to express our deepest gratitude that you have revealed yourself not only in the wonderful works of creation, but in your marvelous word that you have given to us. A word of truth upon which we rely, by which we come before you and acknowledge the nature of our transgressions and to receive and to hear about your marvelous grace. A word that you have spoken in revealing yourself to us that we may hide your word in our hearts that we may not only not sin against you but that we may worship you in spirit and truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amos chapter 1 1 and 2. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. And then to skip over to chapter 2, we'll pick it up with verse 6. Chapter two verse, chapter 2, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar and garments taken in pledge. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them whose height was like the height of the cedars, and who was as strong as the oaks. I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. Also, it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up some of your sons for prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel, declares the Lord?" But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophet, saying, You shall not prophesy. Behold, I will press you down in your place as a cart full of sheaves presses downs. Flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bull shall not stand, and he who is swift of foot shall not save himself. Nor shall he who rides the horse save his life. And he who is stout of heart among the mighty. Shall flee away naked. In that day declares the Lord. Hear this word. That the Lord has spoken against you. O people of Israel. Against the whole family. That I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known. Of all the families of the earth. Therefore. I will punish you for all your iniquities. And jumping down to verse 7. For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? May God bless his word, our understanding of it, and our meditation upon it. I'm wondering as we approach this particular text if there's anyone here who has ever heard a mature lion in his natural habitat roar. I suppose if we weren't Presbyterians, I could ask you to raise your hand, but I won't do that. Uh, going to the movie Lion King doesn't qualify. Um, or the MGM opening scene of the lion roaring, that doesn't qualify. Uh, to hear uh, a lion, in his, a mature lion in his ab- habitat roar. Uh, I'm with you, I haven't either. Even though I have been to Uganda several times... I still have never, in his natural habitat, heard a lion roar. Um, according to one zoologist that I read, he said, a mature lion's roar is an awesome and penetrating sound that literally will stop you in your tracks. It grabs your attention. It is something you never forget. Well, that's the image that's before us today in our text. The roar of the lion the important question is why why do lions roar i always assume when i've heard this before that a lion's roar to, when they're about to pounce upon their prey to scare them to death or to paralyze them but they don't do that they're big cats and cats hunt quietly they are stealth hunters they sneak up on their prey and capture them unawares. Again, zoologists tell us that lions roar to communicate with other lions as well as with the other animals where they are to show how big they are and to warn lions to keep away from their prides and to keep away from their territory. So that is something to think about I think, as we talk about the lion roaring as revealed in the book of Amos. And when I did the Bible study through Amos at the homestead where we live, uh, the class wanted to study this because they all raised their hands and said, we have no idea what Amos is about. And I said, well, that's good. That's why you come to the Bible study. But I used that image if anybody asks you, what's the book of Amos about? It's about a lion roaring. You can just say that. That summarizes, in a sense... Everything that Amos is going to reveal in his book. So that's we want to do that briefly uh, this morning. Well, first of all, the roar of the lion expresses an authoritative communication. It's the roar of the lion that expresses his authority as an animal, and it's that which uses to illustrate God speaking. From Jerusalem. He says, The Lord roars from Zion. He utters his voice from Jerusalem. And that's significant, isn't it? Jerusalem is the place where God has ordained, His self-appointed place where he would dwell in the midst of his people. Jerusalem is the place of the temple that God had established on the face of the earth. It was from the southern kingdom, from Judah. That God raised up Amos, this shepherd farmer, to go from Tekoa to go to the northern tribe tribes of Israel to proclaim the message that God had given to him. Tekoa was a village about five miles south of Bethlehem, and was an area known for its rich pastures and flocks of sheep. So that's the first thing we want to really grasp. You know, if we haven't really, in a sense, heard a roar of a lion, we may not even have that visceral response, that emotional understanding of what Amos is speaking to us about. So these words not only remind us of the authority of God himself roaring from lion, but he does it through Amos, this shepherd This untrained, so-called untrained prophet, in his own words. But they remind us, they remind us, indeed, of the office of a prophet. Who was Amos? Well, Amos, in a sense, was a nobody. But he was raised up by God to be his mouthpiece, to be his servant. You remember from Deuteronomy 18 that we read it, from our call to worship. Moses talked about that God would raise up the prophets. They were not to listen to soothsayers. They were not to listen to people who thought they knew the future or any of those who had communication with the spirit world. They weren't to listen to any of those people. He said, for I will raise up from among your brothers a prophet who will speak to you, and through him I will reveal to you my will. So they were not to listen to anyone who practiced divination or a medium, a fortune teller, or a wizard. But they were to listen to a prophet. The prophets were God's servant. That was an office. Um, with, we, know, we understand offices in a political sense. It's a president. And we have senators. We have, we have offices to which they hold, which were elected. But here, a, a, a servant, a prophet, is God's appointed mouthpiece. He raised him up. Israel, in a sense, did raise up. There was a school of the prophets. But here we understand that the prophet was the one uh, who was speaking. So when Amos spoke, when Amos gave his message, it was the Lord speaking to the tribes of Israel. Remember, the one roaring from Zion is the one who's revealed in Exodus on Mount Sinai, it says, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. It was the Lord, ultimately, who was speaking. That eternal, self-sustaining, self-determining, sovereign God that roared from Jerusalem through his servant, Amos. Amos. So it says that the Lord does nothing in secret but what he reveals to the prophet. The lion has roared, who will not fear, says we read in verse 3, chapter 8, chapter 3, verse 8. The Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? In other words, just as uh, the roar is natural to a lion, so prophecy naturally follows in the speaking of the prophet for the Lord. The prophet's common title was servant. Of the Lord, and his message originated with God and was from God, so Amos was a messenger of the lord 's covenant. Now this is very interesting because he 's just a sheep herder. Uh, he 's a sheep herder farmer, maybe a sh- businessman that uh, applied the trail of uh, dealing with sheep, but he sent Amos from Judah at a very prosperous time. In the land of Israel. Among the tribes. They were doing really, really well. They were prospering. Things were great. The stock market was up. They were booming. In every way. Under the leadership of Jeroboam. So um, it says in 2 Kings chapter uh, 14. That Jeroboam had restored. The boundaries of Israel. According to the prophecy of Jonah. So it was a time of. Really, economic prosperity and relative peace in the, delivering the tribes from their enemies around them. But at the same time, when they were doing great in prosperity, it was a time of real corruption and time of great greed. So Amos' message, as we'll see, was in sharp contrast. To the conditions of the time. They think they were doing really well. They were doing really good. Prospering in every way. And yet there was widespread corruption as we read a moment ago. Amos acknowledged that he was not a prophet. He said, I'm not a prophet or a son of the prophet. Likely meaning that he had not really trained. He hadn't gone to seminary. He hadn't been trained to be a prophet in a sense. But the Lord, he said, took him from following the flock and told him to go to prophesy to the people of Israel. And when the Lord, as we read in verse uh, chapter 1, when the Lord utters his voice, the pastures mourn and the top of Carmel withers. An imagery that kind of sets the stage that this is a powerful wind that's coming. This is a powerful roar that's going to bring widespread destruction on the land in sharp contrast to what they were experiencing at the time so the essential ingredient of Israel's situation is they had stopped listening to the prophets that the lord had sent them we didn't read the portion but when amos goes to israel and he and he's begins to speak specifically about Jeroboam, the king dying by the sword. He was told by a high priest, the other, another, another office in Israel. The prophet was told by the high priest to shut up. told him to go home. Go home to Judah and learn your, and take your trade there. Learn your living in speaking to Judah. So in no uncertain terms. Amos was told that the land could not bear his words. They were so hard to hear. So with great audacity, the priest informed the prophet that Bethel was the king's sanctuary and the temple of his kingdom. How dare he speak such a word about the king? Just whom did he think he was rebuking? Because the king was another office in the land. Amos responded to Azariah, Am- Amaziah with a horrifying word from the Lord of what was going to happen to him personally, to his wife and to his daughters and all Israel. So when you think about a lion roaring, you think about the authority of this humble messenger because God raised him up and he was speaking a word on his behalf. So when he brings his message, the second thing that I think we ought to take away from the roar of the lion is that it expresses the very character of God, the very character of God, while exposing the offensiveness of the transgressions of his people. As we read through Amos, he He's like an archer, if you will, if you could picture a target. That he's like an archer shooting arrows, and he just hits various targets at the right time. He, he, he speaks first of the surrounding pagan nations that lie to the north and northeast of Israel. And then he spoke of three nations that were relatives the Edomites, the Ammonites, and the Moabites. And then he speaks about a brother nation, Judah. And then he comes to his target. His real target is Israel. The top, the, the, the nations, the uh, t- ten tribes. So in great detail, the Lord through Amos unfolds the nature of their multiple transgression of the nations around Israel. He tells them what they did in their transgressions. To each of these nations, the pronouncements were introduced by thus says the Lord. And so to each one. He goes to Damascus and Syria to the north. We won't, re- we won't review all that. You can do that on your own if you want. He, he, a nation to the north for their, their cruelty. And then to the west, Philistia, for human trafficking and slaving. For Tyre and Phoenicia to the northwest, for also for being a slave-trading nation and not honoring a treaty. For Edom at the southeast... It comes under judgment for punishing descendants of Jacob with his sword and his unending wrath for his brother. The Ammonites in the east were punished for their cruelty upon the helpless and their humanity, ripping open pregnant women just in the interest of increasing their borders and their own prosperity. Moab to the southeast, um, they would be punished for burning the bones of the king of Edom, viewed as an extreme act of vengeance and humiliation and hatred. And then Judah, he comes to the south. They would be punished for their rejection of the law and not keeping his statutes. Like Psalm 46 says, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, God utters his voice, the earth melts. And then he focuses with a laser light upon the tribes of Israel. This is the nation to whom God had sent Amos. And this, in the chapters in Amos, he sets forth in vivid detail God's complaint against the sons of Israel. We don't have a time to look at that in in detail or in length, but just listen. Just listen to what he addresses in his book. Widespread corruption and blatant immorality. A total lack of justice for the poor. Exploitation of the needy in flaunted covetousness. A total breakdown of loving their neighbors. A government established and supported rebellious idolatry. A government established and appointed rebellious idolatry. A mockery of God ordained servants such as the Nazarites. And the prophets, a total disregard of God's redemptive purpose in bringing them into the land where they lived. They were zealous for their religious festivities, which revealed that they honored God with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. They had completely forgotten not only their religious identity, but they would forgotten the very purpose for which God had raised them up as a nation They were at ease in Zion. Their wealth had been gained by unmerciful exploitation of the poor. The diva of society were called cows of Bashan, living domineering lives of selfish callousness and pampered complacency, in direct contrast to the picture of a godly wife and mother in Proverbs. On and on and on, in scathing detail... The Lord reveals how the sons of Israel had not only become like the nations around them, but even worse. They had trampled underfoot the word of God and despised God's redemptive grace. In some, God says this, they did not know even how to do right. They did not even know what it was was to to do right, but were those who stored up violence and robbery in their strongholds. Chapter 3, verse 10. So Jeremiah's words in his own prophecy, chapter 25, are a good description of what we see in Amos. The Lord will roar from on high and from his holy habitation, utter his voice. He will roar mightily against his fold and against all the inhabitants of the earth. So through his servant Amos, God proceeds to reveal the horrifying details of his punishments in casting them out of the land by the cruel hands of an adversarial nation. Who will plunder them? Just as the Lord had cast out the wicked Canaanites. And gave the promised land to the Israelites. It raises the question doesn't it? If you you think about that. What kind of God does that? What's his character? How can he do that? You know we read. He says. You only, he he says to Amos, to Israel, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. It's a non sequitur. (laughs) It doesn't seem like the two go together. But that's his word. Who is it? Who, who Who can bring such punishment upon his beloved people? Well, Amos says, the Lord swears that this is so by his holiness. He is a holy God. The Lord swears that he will surely do this. And all that you find that he's doing and the descriptions that are given are a repetition of Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. He is simply a God who keeps his word. He's a God who speaks and his word does not fall to the ground but accomplishes the purpose to which he sends it. And you will find in Leviticus and Deuteronomy the sanctions of the covenant that God promises he would bring upon a disobedient people. They will now be carried out in Amos's prophecy. In other words, the Lord is simply keeping his word that if his people disobeyed and did not keep his covenant, he would bring such punishments upon them. So the God that we understand, that we know, is the God who keeps his word. He means what he says. And as Amos tells the people of Israel in chapter 4, verse twelve, 12, O Israel, prepare to meet your God. They will come to understand who he is in ways that perhaps they never thought they would ever understand. It, it is as if Israel never really comprehended or grasped what kind of God brought them out of their slavery and their bondage in Egypt. Through the carrying out of the sanctions of the covenant, they were going to understand more fully what kind, what kind of Lord he was. It is he who forms the mountains and creates the wind, declares to men what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Chapter 4, verse 3, 13. So as we read in chapter 3, 1. And Amos says, Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that he brought up out of the land of of Egypt. Of Israel, they were only known as the families of the earth, and therefore they were going to be punished for all their iniquities. When we got to this point, it's interesting, when we were studying this in detail in a Bible study, one lady got out and left the Bible study. She says, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> says, I, can't, I can't believe that God is like this. I can't read these things in the Bible without... Uh, without uh, and ju- just sit under that. I'm, I'm just not coming back. <laughs> and it is, you see, it's distressing to understand that the God of the universe knows our thoughts and our hearts. It's an uncomfortable idea. And more than that, it's absolutely terrifying if we do not wish to have God in our thoughts What a terrible indictment this is to God's chosen people when their religious feasts and their worship sickened him and he had no regard for them. All of it was like static noise to him. And indeed, along with other prophets, it's a sobering book to read. That leads us to the third point. First of all, it's an authoritative voice. He speaks with power, conviction, conviction. Truth. It also reveals his character, his holiness, and that he means what he says in forming a covenant relationship with his people. But finally, the roar of the lion in Amos is a sovereign call, a summons to repentance and faith. The image of the lion roaring is that we would heed. The voice of the living God. Not only Israel, but all the nations. Now, especially as the message to Israel, God's covenant people. And I think if we read through Amos this way, we would have the impression that God is sort of like the evangelist Elmer Gantry. He, he, he's a hellfire and brimstone preacher, an evangelist. We might have their impression In delivering such a sharp and devastating message from an offended God. And his message certainly is an awful warning that he had to deliver to the descendants of Israel. But I think as we read Amos carefully. It is a voice of the weeping prophet. The one who laments over the condition of the people of God. In fact in chapter 5. He laments over the house of Israel. He says these words, striking words. He said, fallen. No more to rise is the virgin Israel. Forsaken on her land with none to raise her up. What sorrow, what heartache is expressed In those words, this useful, vibrant nation is compared to a young, unmarried virgin about to be ravished and raped. No one cares. No one cares. It's the lamentation, I think, that comes when we see children carrying out multiple transgressions and falling prey to rebellious sinful practices and parents don't care or church doesn't care. In Amos, then, you find, in that, in that very sad, moving moment, you find, then, three, three prayers in Amos corresponding to their multiple transgressions as listed poetically for three transgressions and for four There's now a threefold cry that comes from God through Amos. One, seek me. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel or go to Gilgal or Beersheba, these three cities that had special places for the intervention of God, that they became representatives of covenant infidelity. So seek me and live. Then seek the Lord and live. Lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph. And finally, seek good and not evil. Hate evil and love good. And establish justice in the gates. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Verse 15. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion with their idolatry and corruption. They are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. They become like the Pharaoh or the Egyptians who did not know Joseph. God kept, uh, he kept reminding them of their identity. They are the house of Israel, the people of Israel, the sons of Israel. They are the Joseph. And then he says, the greatest punishment that he would send upon them was a famine. Not a physical famine, a famine of not hearing the words of the Lord. They would run to and fro to seek the, Lord, the word of the Lord, but they would not find it. So while the devastation was severe, God relented from bringing complete devastation on Israel at the pleading, the prayer of the prophet in chapter 7. God showed him a vision of locusts eating the latter growth and the fire that would utterly ruin Israel. And Amos prayed, please forgive and relent. And the Lord did. The Lord raised up this servant to intercede for his people, just like Moses and even like our Lord Jesus himself. So, even so, the Lord promises that he would not utterly destroy the house of Israel, even though they were going to be thrown into exile. So then we come, marvelously, to the end of the book. We see the promise of God that he would raise up the fallen booth of David and repair its ruins so that he may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that are called by his name. A promise that is again repeated in Acts 15, or it is cited in Acts 15, 17, and 18, that is being now fulfilled in pouring out of the blessing and calling the Gentiles to faith as declared in the Council of Jerusalem. The imagery that's found in the end of Amos is, is, a, is a land, of, again, of plush foliage and fruitful harvest, speaks of the abundant blessings of the covenant that will more than replace all the curses that are experienced in the exile. So much so that a harvest would be so great that the plowman will overtake the reaper. Mountains would drip with sweet wine. People would be planted in the land with fruitful gardens never to be uprooted again. These are the blessings that God will bring to the nations. Why? Because he said so. The Lord said so. The final words of Amos. The Lord said so. So what do we learn as we walk through Amos? As we see this summary uh, of his message to Israel? Well, we learn that God fulfills his purpose and plan through his servants, the prophets. That final prophet that is given to us, of course, is that God speaks to us in his son, Hebrews 1. In him, all the promises of God are fulfilled. And by the spirit of God written down for us in the scriptures, they are able to make us As Paul writes to Timothy, Wives unto salvation through faith in Christ. We are reminded in the Gospels, in other words, listen to him. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that that every soul that does not listen, that prophet shall be destroyed from his people, as Peter proclaimed at Pentecost. Christ reveals to us by his word and his spirit the will of God for our salvation, the ultimate rule of history. He warns the nations of the day of the Lord that is a day of judgment for those who do not believe and the ultimate deliverance of his people. Secondly, the Lord is holy indeed. Easy to forget. The Lord is holy. And at times he severely disciplines his people in order to purify them. The prophet's ministry prefigures, in a sense, the Lord even walking among the churches in the book of Revelation and searching the minds and hearts of his people, exposing their unfaithfulness and calling them to repentance by knocking on the door of their heart of the people to open their hearts to him. He has serious messages for those churches and continues in all the churches today. And finally, the God of Israel is the Lord of heaven and earth who speaks the truth with his authority. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those that dwell therein, says the scriptures. But you see, there is another lion who goes about in the world roaring, seeking, whom he may devour. He is the great pretender who disguises himself as one who has all authority and power and claims to know what you want most. He questions, has God really forbidden you to have a fulfilled life in pursuing your dreams? He is the great tempter who says, if you will follow him, he will give you all that you desire. But he fools you with a flattering tongue. promises of the world but if you fall, if you fear him and you follow him you will lose your soul don't forget the steadfast mercy and love of the Lord has given you in your life don't forget them the Lord that prevails is the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he is your creator He is the righteous one who died that he might bring you to God the Father. The devil seeks to intimidate those who listen to that word through suffering and persecution and destruction of the righteous. But he who sits at the right hand of God has been given all authority over all powers and principalities, and his purpose will be fulfilled. Jesus said it very simply. My sheep hear my voice. And they follow me. Let's pray. Help us, our Father, indeed, to hear your word and not to be hearers of the word, but doers of it. That speaks of a living faith, a living trust, that you've sent your beloved Son into the world to be our Redeemer, our Savior, our Lord. Help us to hear that word, be faithful in following, be truthful to that word in all of our lives. Thank you, dear Lord, that you have come into the world to die on the cross, to save us from our sin. Be raised up in whom we have a living hope that you will come again to receive us unto yourself. We rejoice in that today. Bless your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.